and shake, you know, climb a pew or something, whatever you got to do this morning. Uh, we're going to get through it, y'all. It's going to be okay. First uh, John chapter number two. All right. Let the preacher get it right this morning. Uh, if not, I'll let somebody else come up here and do this. First uh, John chapter two. Uh, I want to begin by reading verses one through six. This has been kind of the section here. But last week we dealt with verses one and two, which deal specifically with Jesus and who he is for us, our advocate. And we talked about the thankfulness that we have uh, for having an advocate that uh, even when we sin and when we do sin, that our position in Christ does not change. He doesn't cast us away, throw us away, ball us up and, or set us aside and say, no, I'm done with you forever. But rather, he chastens us. He draws us unto himself. He is an advocate for us in, the, in our time of need. And it says here, my little children, these things write out unto you that you sin not. And if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. I want to begin here in verse number three today. We know this is an assurance. And what we're going to find is that this is uh, a test uh, of our assurance, a test of our um, fellowship with the Lord, with walking with him to make sure that you and I as believers are walking accordingly. May we not be so foolish to go, oh, I'm saved, so I must be OK in every other aspect of my life. But rather, may we look and point the mirror to our own face and not put on the binoculars, the microscope in the lives of others. It, by the way, it's not your job to be somebody else's Holy Spirit, right? It's only the Holy Spirit's job to be the Holy Spirit. You and I can't do that, right? The Holy Spirit's indwelling us and every other believer so that we might be chastened by sin. Uh, when we do sin, that we might have an advocate as well, that we might have an intercessor for us, that we might have an encourager, a comforter. Uh, but you and I are called ultimately to, to live our own life, to run our race. But we must have assurance. We must have fellowship with God. And that's what he's getting at and dealing with here. He says, and hereby we do know. The Gnostics during this day that John is writing in regards and refuting, um, he, the Gnostics lifted up their knowledge, as literally is in their word, gnosko, is the word knowledge, to know. They believed they had a higher knowledge, a higher understanding of, of who God is and of just the world around them. Uh, but they set aside obedience of that which was right in the sight of God. So for them, it was all about what you know and not what you do. But on the other side of that dangerous coin are those that say it's all about what you do and not about what you know. Today, there's a real danger that we have many uh, people who have their heads filled with who God is or about the Bible, but don't have a heart that is filled. So they're missing heaven by about that far. But then on the other side, we've got uh, many in in our circles and in our churches who uh, believe that it's so important to do, do, do and do and do. Right. Work, 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 work. But they don't know God. And so they are still yet missing by about this far because uh, they do not have a true heart or head knowledge about the things of God. We're called to have a head knowledge of God, but as well as a heart belief and a knowledge of who he is, a knowledge of God, not just about God, but of him. Here the head is a knowledge about, if you will, and the heart is a knowledge of. It is that deep, close walk and fellowship with the Lord. Now, as we talked about, and as John has addressed here, of course, especially in verse 1 and 2, that when we do sin and that because we do sin in our flesh, that it does affect our fellowship and our relationship, right? If you do something against your spouse, naturally you guys are going to have a little bit of a, a rift. It, it, it's just a natural thing in a re, any relationship. 
And so as we come to verse three, hereby we know, we find that we know him. And to know him is the greatest thing that we must know. The greatest knowledge you can ever have, the greatest thing that you can ever know, the greatest thing that you can ever understand, the greatest pursuit to know or to study is that of God. There are many great fields of study. And there's other many great doctrines to study as well. Let's not get that twisted. But in the middle of all the doctrines that you and I study or might know or want to learn more is a direct focus that points to know God. When you want to talk, many people get focused on, I want to know about the end times, I want to know about the end times. But they, in so doing, get so focused on the end times that they forget about the God of the end times, who is both the beginning and the end who's the one that planned the beginning, who planned the middle, who planned the end, and who is ever-existent, from everlasting to everlasting. Well, we can get caught up that we fail sometimes, that we, we miss really the big picture, and that is to just know God. And this is an assurance to, to one, as he's writing here, that we do know that we know Him. have many conversations, especially in regards to things happening in the world today, and I wonder... How in the world could someone who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior even get through a day? I have no idea. As a matter of fact, there's days that we know the Lord and it's, it's tough, but the way that we get through is because we do know Him. But there is a great struggle today with many believers. Many believers that have this lack of assurance or a lack of understanding about who God is and their position in Him that they lose some of that fellowship. They lose some of that assurance. And John is pointing the believers here that he's writing to and to you and I today that we should know that we know. We have a no-so salvation. It's not a hope-so. It's not a, a wish or we'll find out later. We must know that we know that we know. And we must know that we know that we know God. And here he's going to give a proof. And the proof that we know that we know that we know God is that we obey him. We trust him. We follow him. We not know all about him, but that we know him personally. And we have that assurance. And we're going to find one of the tests of that assurance, one of the tests of that fellowship, is that if we keep his commandments. You see, our salvation and our assurance of such is not found in our own experience or our own emotions because our emotions and our experiences can sometimes deceive us. There's some days, if we're real honest this morning, there's some days that you might not feel saved. There's some days that you might not feel like coming to church or you might not feel right. I might be the only one. I don't know. But but we are prone to that in our flesh. We don't always feel that way. And that's why it is a dangerous thing for us as we gather and worship to say, how's everybody feeling this morning? Y'all ready to worship? Right. It might pump up a crowd. But today, if all I'm giving you is based upon what I feel right and it's not going to be good. Half of us this morning, right, woke up, we got some new ache or pain. We might have found a new gray hair or a wrinkle. We might have spilled our coffee. We might have missed breakfast. We might have kicked the dog. There's a million other things that could have happened this morning that we don't feel good, but we know, we know, though, that God is good. That's the key. And so what you know about God is truly the most important thing how you view God and, and your circumstances, and it's not about how we feel. If you want to feel saved, then get to know God more. Right? If you want to feel the emotions of what it's like and have that assurance, then know God more. 
because the more we know, not just about God in our head, but the more we know of God in our hearts as we walk by faith and trust Him in obedience, the more that we will feel that close walk and fellowship, and the more that we will feel saved. You know this, that you feel more saved when you come to church, you read your Bible, you pray, and you follow the Lord? Why is that? Because it's obedience. It's the most simple thing. But we feel closer to the Lord when we are closer to the Lord. So today, if you don't feel close to the Lord, know this, that your position in Christ has not changed. You are already seated in heavenly places. If you're trusted uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you, you may as well already be there, right? But physically right now, you go, well, I'm just not feeling it. Well, you know what? Start just praising God a little bit. Start talking out loud and praying in your prayer to the Lord, even right now, about the things that you know about God. It will certainly change how you feel the more you talk about what you know. The more you go, well, God, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know that you've, you've done so many things. I've watched you work in my life. Start recounting as you go back through like the psalmists do, where literally whole psalms and whole chapters in the Old Testament are going over that this is the God who has done this and this and this and this and this in my life. And we can know that God is very much with us. But obedience here is found to be the most natural response to those who actually know God. To those who do not know God, the natural response for them is to disobey God. But to those who know Christ, we are given a, a, new, uh, a new desire, a new um, appetite, and it's a new focus. And that focus is obedience to Christ. It's obedience to the Lord. It becomes our natural response in our spirit, maybe not in our flesh, though. And so in this, he then says that we know, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, do you know how many commandments there are in the Bible? A lot. <laughs> do you know how many of those commandments you've broken today? Probably also a lot, right? <laughs> right? We think about this. If we just boil it down to ten commandments, right, as the Lord gave, how many of those ten commandments have you kept today? Probably, maybe not all ten, right? I know I haven't. Matter of fact, if we boiled it down to two, like Jesus does, and he says, love God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself, and we love ourselves, don't we? Right? And what happens? I can't do that one in my flesh, and I certainly can't do that one in my flesh. And so, where, where, where's our hope? Where's our assurance? Our assurance is found that if we keep his commandments, meaning this, that we cannot keep all of his commandments, but it is that we have this natural response, this natural commitment. It is not that we keep them all, but through our confession of our sins and commitment to walking in the light as he is in the light. That is what keeping his commands look like. So to those who we would consider to be a godly individual, does that mean that they don't sin? Of course it does. Right? They sin. Right? A whole lot more than what we would even know or, or care to know. What it does mean is that they are constantly and continuously confessing sin as he's addressed in the previous five, six verses, and as well then as committing to walking in the light. As we've talked about, walking in light is walking in open honesty and purity and a holiness that God is in. And in so doing, it is obediently, faithfully walking to know him. Now, he says in verse number three, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse four gives us the negative, right? Those that say they know God, but do not keep his commandments are 
liars. What do you call someone that lies? A liar. What do you call someone that lies a hundred times a day? Still a big liar, right? <laughs> as long as I didn't hear nobody's name in here, right? Be said, that's pretty good. <laughs> Nobody said another, another name. That's good. You might have thought it. That's good, though. What, all right, now let's test this again. What do you call somebody that lies once a day? Are they still a liar? They're just not a big liar? Okay. What about someone that tells a half-truth? Is that still a lie? Right. So what about someone that says, I love Jesus, but does not follow Jesus? That's right, he don't love him. That's right. He don't love Jesus. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him, as what John has just addressed in chapter 1. I would say that there is a vast majority, unfortunately today, who would be able to sing on a Sunday morning, Oh, how I love Jesus. But come Monday morning, it's nowhere to be found. Come Tuesday at lunchtime around the, the, in the break room, it's not there, that love's not there. Come Friday night or Saturday night or come what's in the refrigerator or where the money's going or what's on the television or computer or what's on the heart does not truly love Christ. If we have a true love for the Lord, we will follow his commands. And as we've addressed already, it doesn't mean that we will live a perfect life. It doesn't mean that we won't ever slip up. It doesn't mean that we will keep all of his commands, but rather it means that we will consistently confess our sins and that we will commit our lives to follow him. And we want to obey. The only ones that have a natural desire to obey God, and the only reason why, and John's going to address this later on, that if you do love God, it's because God has loved you first, and it's because God's love has changed your heart and life. Without that, you will not love God, you will not obey God. And that's why the world is in the shape it's in today, because they do not know the God that they um, should know or, or should love or should care for. But the reason why I would say the churches and the homes are in the shape that they are in today, it's because we say, I love and know Jesus. But they have empty heads. They don't know anything about the Bible because they don't read the Bible themselves. You know, the average Christian spends less than 10 minutes a week reading their Bible. The average Christian will never read the Bible in its entirety. If we say we love God, if we say that we are in Christ, there should be a natural obedience to him. If we submit and know that he is Lord and know that he is king, then we're going to naturally follow suit. The sad reality is that there are many today who are not lovers of Jesus, but liars. And the truth is not in them. It says <coughs> by a, a commentator, he says, underlying this whole verse is a recognition that people can have no authentic relationship with God if they do not obey his commands. This does not mean, of course, that those who know God will never fail to obey God's commands, but rather those that know God will not be characterized by disobedience in his commands. This has already been seen in verse number six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Then again, in chapter one, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. However, I want us to look now at the next verse, at the one who does know God. What John has done so far at this point, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but going back into from, very, from verse number five all the way down through this point, as he said, a negative thing here, right? And then he's given the positive of it. So he's given the, if anyone says he knows the Lord, 
but does not walk in him. He really doesn't know the Lord. He's a liar. And then he said the opposite. He says, but if he does, then this is a fellowship. This is a, a blessing. This is a thing in his life that's going to be seen. And that's what he gives us to verse number five. But whoso <clears throat> keepeth his word. To keep God's word means that you know God's word. And to know God's word means that you, and to be able to keep God's word, not only do you know God's word, but you believe God's word. <clears throat> Today, there are more Christians, perhaps than ever before, at least recordedly, um, that do not truly believe God's word. Oh, oh, half, half of those who claim to know Christ, half of those who claim to be saved or born again or identify as Christian, do not believe in the literal creation account, do not believe that it is important um, for there to only be as God ordained and scientifically ordained as well to be two genders. There are only uh, about half of the believers who believe that Jesus was perfectly sinless. To believe that Jesus is not sinless means that you are not saved and you do not know him. And you go further, the statistics are quite startling. And I believe there's several reasons. One, because each individual has not taken themselves uh, in the Bible seriously in the relationship. They have came here and treated church as just their only source of getting fed, but you're going to go home today and throughout the week, you're going to go eat something at home or something somewhere else. And if you're only eating here, then you will starve to death and know nothing. I believe that most Christians are about starved to death, one, because they're not feeding themselves, but two, because most pulpits are not feeding proper food. If all the preacher gives or if all you bring into your body is sugar and you never eat a carrot, you're probably not going to be that healthy, right? The natural tendency for the believer is to want the carrot of God's word. It's to want what is good. It's to want what even maybe sometimes, let's be honest, what the preacher has to say, because you know that mean old preacher that stays up there and he talks way too long and he's way too mean. Y'all know that guy, right? He just can't give nothing sweet sometimes. Sometimes he gives stuff that we just don't want to chew up and swallow, right? Yeah, well, I understand. But sometimes I don't want to chew up and swallow it neither. But the reason why we have that, it is for our good, so that we might know God, so that we might obey him. Now the positive given here, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. Now, this is done to keep his word in the present tense. What that means is it continuously happens. It is to continuously keep God's word, to continuously keep obedience in mind. As we've already addressed, does that mean that we will not falter or fail at times, but it means that we get back up and that we keep on pressing forward. It is better for you to move an inch forward than an inch backward, right? An inch forward might not be far. But we're not looking to make strides, right? We're looking just to keep moving forward. That's the key. To move backwards or even at times to stand still, we can get knocked back. We need to keep moving forward. If it means an inch and it's slow and steady, we will run the race because there's going to be a day where you and I will leave this world and we will cross the finish line and we will have won the race by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, this is a continuously being consistent in confession and obedience and then what he gets to is he says the positive part of this, the positive part of a bang is that we see that the love of God is perfected in us. The Greek here is tautheo. It is the love of God. It, uh, as one commentator writes, it becomes complete 
when we obey him, perhaps because the barrier of sin is removed or our love for God becomes complete when we obey him, stressing that faith must be combined with action. So this is twofold here. And there are some that interpret what this is in the Greek. It's a genitive. uh, So it's where it shows the of part. But really what the boils down to is this. It shows whether or not one in this we find that the love of God is perfected, meaning that uh, that the barrier of sin is removed because of his love towards us, because of his loving action, his loving care towards his children, towards his people. And on the other side, that it's perfected in us, that it becomes complete in us. Perfection is that of completion. Uh, uh, coming to being made whole, uh, to a, a complete understanding, to a maturing process, right? There's no perfect people in this place, and there's no perfect church. If you can find the perfect church, let the rest of us know we'll go there too, right? But a, a perfection here is that of, of growing, of becoming whole and mature. That's what we should be doing. We should have the love of God being perfected in us. It is that we find our faith with action. We experience His love in obedience, And we show his love in obedience. Notice how both have obedience. When we obey God and we're walking close with him in the light as he is in the light, what do we experience? We experience his love. We experience his fellowship. And we go, man, this is mountaintop. I'm so I'm walking close to God. This is great. But how then do we show that same love of God by obedience to him? What part? All what he says we do. Where he says to go, we go. When he says to stop, we stop. Right? When he speaks according to his word and through his word, that's what we obey. Now, we have this idea found that if we have a genuine love, then we will have genuine obedience. You can fake Christianity a bit. You can fake and have churchianity. But to have a real genuine love of the Lord and have real genuine obedience It's only going to come from knowing that genuine love of God that is being perfected in us. Now, the reason we obey God is because we love him. The reason we love him is because he first loved us and gave himself for us. You can see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby we perceive we love the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then over just another page in 1 John 4, 19, uh, we love him. Because he first loved us. So why do we love God? Not because we have anything in our flesh that goes, oh man, isn't God great? It's rather because the love of God is shed abroad upon our hearts and changes us from the inside out. We will not love God if we try to change our outside first. Right? It has to be inward to outward. And only God and his love and his mercy can do such. Um, uh, John, the Gospel John, as he writes in chapter 14, verse 21, He records with Jesus speaking to them uh, shortly before his death. He says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. We have an assurance today of the love of God. We often forget because we do yet still sin in our flesh that God still loves you. Every individual. And he loves us with a love that we don't fully understand because we don't have the same love that he does. He loves with a perfect love. He loves with a complete love. He loves with an unconditional love. He loves with a love that is towards those who on the surface would be unlovable. That's the love of God. 
that His love is so great for us, even for sinful man, that He would give up His Son, Jesus, to come, to die, to be persecuted, and to be raised again so that all those who trust in Him would experience His love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is sacrifice and action. There are times in every relationship that you go, well, I, just, I feel the love, right? Or maybe you go, I'm not feeling too loved, or whatever it might be. We might feel that way, but love truly, and true love, would not just be about an emotion or a feeling, but it is in action. Sacrifice. Now, we get into this. He says, we find the love of God perfecting us, and hereby know we that we are in Him, because God is ever working in us. His love is working in us so that we love God, and furthermore, so that we would love people and that we would share that love. But then there is an abiding in verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. All of this come together in verse 3 to 6 to show this perfect obedience, this obedience to God. We know that we know him if we keep his word and walk in him. God abides in those who abide in him. I'm going to turn very quickly and go over to what John says in John chapter 14, verse number 20. John chapter 14, verse 20 says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. What a great abiding that is, that we are in Christ, and that he is in us. If he, as he says in John chapter 10, if we're in him and he's in the Father, and we're held by him, who can pluck us out? There's none that can snatch us out of his hand. Not even your sin. There is no sin that you will ever commit that can snatch you away from the love of God. Who can separate us or what can separate us from the love of God? According to Romans chapter 8. And furthermore, it moves on, verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He says, Then he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine but the father's which sent me then just over a chapter in john 15 verse 1 through 10 talking about this abiding i am the true vine and my father is the husbandman every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit now ye are clean through the word which i have spoken unto you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except ye abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words and abide, and I, and abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. You want to experience the love of God? Love him, faithfully obey him. Abiding in Christ Abiding is a continual position in Christ, as well as a continual practice for those that are in Him. We are ever continuously abiding in Him positionally, but we must also abide in Him practically, continuously, daily in our lives. We must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ is not just Sunday morning church. Abiding in Christ is our identity, 
It's who we are. Your identity is not in your job. It's not in your titles. It is in Christ and Christ alone. If you are in Christ, He is your identity. We are identified with Him at our salvation, at our baptism. It is an open expression of our identification with Him that our life becomes Him. It becomes for Him, by Him, and through Him. He is not just our identity, but He is our security. He's the one we run to. He's the one that protects us, secures us, and He is our priority in life. He must be and should be. We find this. We're not able to keep all of his commandments. But to those who will and do keep his commandments, do have a genuine love for him. Do you have that genuine love for the Lord today? I'm not asking if you feel saved or if you feel close to God right now in this moment, but I'm asking you this. Do you have even an ounce of love for him? If we have even just an ounce of love for the Lord, it is an evidence of God's work in us being perfected. As we find the hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You want to be happy in the Lord today? Trust and obey Him. And you will experience His love. You will be assured of His love. You will have assurance of your fellowship and your salvation. The commentator sums this passage up wonderfully as he says, those who keep God's commands may have assurance that they are people who know God Those who claim to know God while not obeying His commands are liars. Those who say they live in God must walk as Jesus walked, that is, keeping God's commands to them as Jesus obeyed God's commands to Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk, even as He walked. Today, may we walk as the Lord walked in loving obedience submitted to the word and will of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for this day, for this time, this hour that we can gather, we can study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts now for this worship service, Lord, that we might sing uh, with, with pure hearts, sing loud unto you, Lord, that we might do everything for your glory and for your honor. I pray, God, that you would fill this place with your power and your presence, Lord, that you would do a work in hearts today, including mine, as only you can. We love you and we thank you once more for this time. Prepare us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Any men that want to, we're going to have prayer meeting right in here in the side. Sunday school room.